Okay, well, joining me uh, for the first of our uh, half season reports is a uh, former player and local radio pundit, uh, Chris Honor. Chris, uh, welcome to Forever Bristol City podcast. Uh, before we talk about the half season, it seems incredible that four years ago this week, we were as high as we've been for a very long time, beating Man United on the Tuesday, a win against Nottingham Forest on Boxing Day, if I recall correctly. Um, it has all really gone downhill a bit since then, hasn't it? What a good team we were. You know, it just goes to show sometimes you need to appreciate the, the, the good times because uh, we were a fantastic team then. Um, we had some great players, some continuity, some skills, some hard-working players. They all seemed to gel together. Yet the Bristol City faithful still managed to complain. Um, four years later, um, I think we probably still got... Um, we're complaining and we probably have every right to. But looking back to four years ago, that was as good a team as I can remember for a lot, very, yeah. very long time. I mean, football is all about fine margins. And here we are at the halfway stage of the season, 27 points on the board. You extrapolate that forward. That's 54. That's going to give you a position finish somewhere between, I'd say, 18th and maybe 13th some seasons. Um, and if we'd have beaten Huddersfield on Saturday, um, that would have given us 30. You know, it's... You know, and a win, and everybody would have been feeling a bit chipper. So, rather than talk about the negative, let's let's look at the good. What have been the good things about Bristol City this season, from your standpoint? Well, for me, it's got to be the young, the emergence of the young lads coming into the side. Um, I'm really pleased that Semenya is also uh, fit, um, and he's given us a little bit more up front. Uh, he's he can, he's very unpredictable. Um, he's not very consistent, but when he when he's on form, his touches. Um, when his touch is right, he, he just gives a certain extra dimension. Um, I love Alex Scott. I think um, if we can keep him, um, I'll be delighted. I think young uh, Ben Aroos looks a great prospect for the future. Um, obviously, playing out of position on Saturday. Um, he was trying to fill a, a void um, in the team on the left-hand side where obviously the manager doesn't trust one player and the other one didn't seem to want to play um, reading between the lines, which is quite interesting. Mm. Um, but that possibly, possibly a discussion for later, but... Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. Uh, but, you know, um, I think he's a, a, a great prospect. I like Masengo. He sometimes flashes the seed. Um, lovely on the ball. Seems to get... He seems to go into like a Bermuda triangle in midfield. He gets lost when out of possession. Um you know, even on Saturday, I think it was his man who broke into the box in front of um, uh, in front of um, the other midfielders and broke into the box and ended up, you know, finishing the goal for the goal. Um, I just think. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Chris. It was Masengo lost him because that guy ghosted in, and Masengo was trailing in his wake. You know, and you got to say should he have been tracking him, but you're absolutely right from that point of view. But, but I mean, it, I mean that's easy to highlight because you know that's the most immediate time it happens by watching quite a lot and he just seems to get lost he's you know he's he's almost unaware of his defensive duties but you know he's a crowd he's a firm crowd favorite he's iconic with that haircut you know he, he, he desperately appeals to the younger generation um and they've got a song for him and um it seems to work and i i think he's another one for the future if we can manage to keep him i mean if he's only got 18 months on his contract we need to snap him snap him up quickly and give him the money he wants. Yeah. Um, but because I would hate to see him playing uh, a higher standard of football elsewhere when he could have been at Ashton Gate. Um, elsewhere in the team, um, 
I think Calum O'Dowd has come back well. I think we mm-hmm. began to appreciate him. Um, and he's, uh, you know, when he was out with team on Saturday, he certainly showed that he was, um, he was well missed. Uh, and I think that's probably as far as it gets, I think. What about, what about the office field? We've got the uh, High Performance Centre is now fully operational. The women's team seems to be doing well at its new level, you know. Well, I, I may be a bit bioptic. I, I, I just concentrate on the first team at the moment. I mean, I'm not really up, up to speed with the women. Lovely to hear the training ground looks fantastic. But at the <laughs> moment, it's hard to call it the High Performance Centre when not, not producing very many high performances. So... Um, I would be a little bit embarrassed about that, the name they've given it at the moment, because, you know, it's all about the performances on a Saturday. Yeah, no, 100% right there. All right, well, look, as you say, that's almost as positive as uh, as we can get. I mean, look, let's I look mean, at... I, I mean, I hate to be negative, David, you know, because... Look, we, look, we get accused of being negative all the time on this podcast, but we just, we tell it as it is, and I know you do, and I know Gary does as well, you know, and you're not like some of the local journos where... You can't tell it as it is because you won't get allowed to the high performance center, or you know what I'm saying. But you tell it as it is, which is how it should be. Yeah, listen, I, I, I've enjoyed some of the performances this, this year, but most in general, I've been, you know, I don't see the pattern, I don't see um, any fluidity in the side. I think we look, I, I think we look like rabbits in the headlights on Saturday. I mean, there wasn't one center half willing to take possession of the ball. Um, you know, we, Atkinson's just disappeared at the moment. He, you know, he started the season really positively. He looked like the next Webster. He was happy to take the ball in all areas and played the ball confidently forward, backwards, sideways, and was positive. He went on a few little mazy runs into the opposition half and even into their box on a few occasions. Um, he He's not doing it. But then if you look at him, you look at him as an individual player, absolutely right there, Chris. Now, he was ill. Now, he could be suffering from long COVID. I mean, we don't know that. But equally, you know, he's trying to play left side of a three with a very inexperienced, out-of-position 18-year-old outside of him. And when you look at, let's focus just on Saturday's lineup. you know, you'd think that the manager, with it being a defender in his playing career, you build from the back. And even allowing for injuries... There was no need to have Benarus back there in that position when you had Cameron Pring and Jay De Silva. Now, Cameron and Jay, when we did a pre-season uh, analysis, you said Jay was somebody who looked to step up to the plate. You'd be looking for him to step up. And today, yeah, you heard what I heard at the weekend. Cameron didn't feel ready. What's all that about? And what's happening with Jay De Silva? You know, because that was an obvious thing that Atkinson has only played 22 championship games he was in league two prior to that what the hell's going on there okay let's be honest I mean we all read the article we're reading between the lines and we're all supporters and you know even as a former player um, dealing with the likes of Nigel Pearson and, and their like when you make a statement a sweeping statement like players need to step up to the plate you're then reading between the lines, and you realise that Casey Palmer's never going to play for Bristol City again. He's completely out of the way. The Silver's another one. You know, you, I mean, I look at that team straight away, and I can see which ones are his kind of players. And at the moment, I think, obviously, those two players are probably one of the highest-earning players at the club. 
And if he feels if he can get them out, he can get in maybe three or four players who are, who are more likely to give the club um, something in the, the overall squad or, or, or the overall scheme of things. Because neither of those two have played for weeks and weeks and never likely to. As for Cameron Prim, perhaps he had an illness. We don't know. I mean, he, he's hung him out a little bit to dry and possibly as a shot across, across his bow. But um, I mean, maybe he's telling Cameron Prim he needs to man up. And, you know, sometimes if you've got a little niggle, you need to play through it. But, you know, um, you know, times have changed from when Nigel Pearson was a player when he used to play with niggles, regardless of... Um, what the circumstances were, and maybe Cameron Pring never thought he was he, he could last ninety minutes. Yeah, um, you know that's a conversation for them. But, and the uh, other thing I suppose Nick, that left side is that as we've been speaking, uh, um, it's been announced Riley Towler has been recalled with immediate effect. Now, with COVID and everything like that, you need all hands to the pump. But you know he's played in that left back position, hasn't he? Yes. Well. We all know what happened to Riley. I thought he came in and did ever so well for a short period, and then he got substituted very quickly up at Sheffield United, I think, after um, which which kind of killed his confidence. It shattered his confidence. I hope he's gone away to Grimsby and he comes back a better player. Um, I hate to see that done to young kids because they're, they're obviously their confidence is very fragile anyway. They're trying to make their way in the game, um, and hopefully he's gone somewhere and he's he, he's managed to find where he, where he is, but I, I don't really know he, whether he'd be the answer to the, the current problems. I actually was privileged enough to sat, sit very close to Benarus's mum and dad, uh, sorry, mum at the game on Saturday. And, you know, I could, you know, you're watching your son so much that you don't see the overall game. And I, I managed to watch him quite closely because I want him to do well. Because I, you know, as a Bristol City kid coming up through the system. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's very hard to do it in your own, own backyard. And sometimes it's easier to go away without all the expectations, all the, you know, everyone wants, to do, everyone wants you to do well because you come up through the, you're the, part of the academy, you're one of their own, as they always sing about Harry Kane and all that nonsense. But you are, and everyone wants you to do well, and you can feel that weight of expectations. And um, sometimes you need to go away and, and learn your trade. And I hope Riley Towler has done that. Um, Perhaps he's, he's gone away to Grimsby. He's learned to live on his own. He's learned to, you know, get used to, you know, preparing on a Friday for Saturday morning, dealing with his nerves, all that kind of stuff. And I hope he comes back a, a better player and he's possibly one for the future as well, alongside Alex Scott and Ben Aruf. Yeah, I mean, there are phrases that you've used, that, that phrase you've used a couple of times uh, already, one for the uh, future. I mean, do you think Nigel... Pearson really knows what his best lineup is, even with the players, even allowing for injuries. You know, he could have played, he could have played with a flat back four on Saturday, you know, which could have been uh, Viner, Callas, Atkinson, to Silva or Pring. I know we've just said he's not going to play with either of them, but what is the football? What is Nigel Pearson trying to do? He talked upon joining about playing front foot football but here we are I think it's 38 games in that he's lost 20 of them I read the other day it's really hard it's really hard because I don't I don't generally think the quality is there it's really hard to make a silk purse out of pig's ear and sometimes if you haven't got the players at your disposal um, 
as as has happened with all the all the players leaving, as all the players he's been left with, he's only been able to bring in a few experienced players to steady the ship. It must be very hard to um, build a squad because he's there's only so many players. I mean, obviously there's two players he's, I don't think he's ever going to play, and that's the Silver and, and Palmer. So you're two two squad players down. He hasn't got a big squad. He's got other players that he's he's relying on from. Callas to Zach Viner at the moment, who are well, I think Callas has been doing okay actually. But Zach had a was, was a bit poor on his dis- distribution on Saturday. Um, it's it's a funny one. I don't think I think as well. Bakinson is on on the border. I was surprised they gave him an extension to his contract. Um, it, was yeah. the week, it was the week after he scored, and, and that surprised me because I didn't think he would be one of Nigel Pearson's players. Um, but I, I think there's. I think what he's trying to do initially is is to return to basics and to install a fighting spirit, a commitment, an endeavour. He's trying to make go back old school, and at the moment he's not in a place where he can go and coach them because he doesn't think they're good enough to be coached. He's just trying to install the basics in them so he can build off the back of that. And at the moment we're conceding goals, and he's known for keeping clean sheets. And, yeah. And that, and, and and that's a bit of a disaster as well because it's not going to plan. It's not it's not going to plan at all. And we talk about players. I mean, if you look at the players that he bought in, you know, Atkinson was a this day and age at 1.6 million flagship signing to a point. Um, he bought in the trusted Simpson uh, and King and James, all players that he knows. Anna came in. You could argue that he also signed Baker and Vyman because you know they probably come in at lower at lower mon- money. Um, that's seven players that he's bought in. Vyman, you got to say, you know, with nine goals and four assists, that's looking a good signing despite his overall contribution. And what? Well, that's a big enough contribution. What is his best position? But if you look at um, Simpson, that looks almost a waste of a wage, doesn't it? Because you know. I, I- I 100% agree. I mean, he wasn't even part of the squad on Saturday. So, I mean, I've watched him train after the game when most of the crowd has, have gone and I'm obviously doing the um, some of the phoning with Jeff. And, and he's, they're doing, they're doing box-to-box running and he's a million miles behind all the others. His legs have gone. And we've seen yeah. the, odd, the odd game that he has played, he's been taken to the cleaners by a flying fullback. Um, or he cocked it up, or he cocked it up like he did at West Brom, wasn't it, with a total oh, sloppy pass, you know? Yeah. So would it be would it be true to say that uh, Danny Simpson is uh, Nigel Pearson's Chris Brunt from the legs gone perspective? I think so. I think sometimes you, you you try to hang your coat on an experienced player, and it either comes good like Matty James, who I think is great. He, he's given us something. He's uh, he's not quite, um, um, you know. <laughs> He's, he's not going to you know pull up trees, but he gives us a little bit of stability in the middle of midfield, and he's going to he's going to impart some of his experience on the Masengos of this world. But um, and I'm, I'm sure he's very useful around the dressing room. Um, but for me, Danny Simpson's a waste of wage. So that's three players that I know that won't, won't walk, you know won't start in a decent Bristol City team. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's three that. You, yeah. I guess the biggest loss you had the half the chance. I guess the biggest loss, Chris, has been uh, has been Joe Williams because when he's played, he's looked that sort of playmaker. But you know, it, he's like bone china. You know, I mean, we can't. You, you don't know how long he's going to be back for because when he did play, he looked 
He looked class, didn't he? Fabulous. I mean, I was covering them, I think, his first game back, and he, he hit a cross-field ball on the half volley, which pinged out to a player in front of the doorman. And I almost started clapping. I was thinking, oh, my God, what a player we got here. And then the following week or two weeks later, he, he's out with another hamstring issue or whatever. I feel sorry for the kid because there's nothing worse than being in a, a strange town or a strange city and not getting your career off and, off and running. And he hasn't really had, well, he's almost been here two years now, hasn't he? And yeah, he had no, It's 18 months, definitely. 18 and months. Played, played about five games of football. I was going to say less than a handful or less than half a, you know, half a handful. So, you know, whatever. I mean, he's just been, you know, at one stage, I, I thought there was a competition between him and, you know, Callum O'Dowder for the least games in 18 months. But at least Callum's, you know, getting some games under his belt. He's getting a few niggles, hence why he missed on Saturday. But for, for Joe Williams, getting back in, getting getting fit, because I'll tell you what, what a difference that midfield would look with him then. Yeah, no, definitely. Let's, let's look back at the uh, defence uh, again. Um, Callas, you said he's doing okay. Somebody put on uh, OTIB this week. Is Callas compromising himself? Because, or is it, are his personal performances being compromised by the fact that he's got Viner one side of him who needs to be, you know, a bit more alert sometimes? And then he's got the inexperienced Atkinson alongside him. Whereas when Bakes plays, you know, that's a good central defensive pairing. So do you think Callas is trying? Too much is being expected of Callas. He's not a skipper, but he's trying to do too much himself at the back. I think he's a smart guy. I think he knows that it's all about looking after yourself and doing what you're good at. And as long as he keeps on putting the performances in, the performances in, he helps the whole entire team. I think if you get distracted by sometimes the players around you having making poor performances and making mistakes, you sometimes then try to overcompensate for that, and then you get yourself out of your out the out the right positions to stand in. I just I, I was looking at him, and he's the most consistent performer at the back three by a long way. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly biased. I really want Zach to do well. I had him in my academy team when I went back coaching at, at uh, the High Performance Centre before it was actually called that, um, up at Phelan. And I really want him to do well because he's a lovely lad. But at the moment, it, it looks as if his, his confidence is shot. It, you know, his distribution was terrible on Saturday. Yeah. I think Saturday before that, he scooped a ball, a few balls straight out of play. His decision making at times is, it's just not the Zach Vine I'm used to seeing. I, I mean, you probably remember David. There was a few times last year he played in midfield, and what a good player he looked. Well, and he's another option in the middle of the park as well. So we come back to what does the best Bristol City team look like when even allowing for injuries? Okay, but. I mean, do you think Taylor Moore has got a future at the club? He's at Hearts at the moment. I don't know if he could have been. If you had a choice of recalling from loan, Taylor Moore or uh, or Riley Towler, and assuming that there is a recall from Hearts, maybe there isn't. But it's almost yeah. a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it? You'd bring back Taylor Moore, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And I think there is a recall in January because I read the article because obviously I, I've still got friends up in um, Scotland and I was watching him play actually in one of the games. Um, I think it was against Celtic or no, it was at Rangers um, last week. And he did okay. He was playing wide on the right of a, a, a back five. So he was playing in the in the. He's done that right wing back then, which he almost he started right. with his when he first came to City. I think he featured in the, uh, the 16-17 season when we had a reasonable league cup run. But I think he played a game against Hull, and he looked a bit flawed. Right. He can yeah, play so, that right side. So he played that wide 
wing-back position, and he, he didn't look comfortable there because he's not a natural flying winger or, or flying fullback, should we say. So he was, he was taking lots of easy options. He was always passing the ball back or square. Very rarely would he pass the ball forward. Um, but for me, he's definitely one to keep an eye on. I mean, I mean, I played up in Scotland in the Premier Division. You come up against some decent players, and it's on a par to the, the lower part of the Championship um, in, in, in most Saturdays, unless you play against the likes of Reigns or Celtic. Um, and he equipped himself reasonably well. I mean, he's definitely one to, to um, keep an eye on and recalling if, if you know, Nigel Pearson thinks he needs additional numbers at centre-half. But I, I don't think he'll bring him back. I think he'll no. leave him there and he'll probably sell him at the end of the season. Yeah, because he's out of contract then as well, I think. And then the, uh, is it Robbie Cundy that has had a perpetual injury? Because he played, he got a good League One season under his belt at Gillingham last year, didn't he? You know, so you could argue that he's a loss. I don't know too much about him, but you may have seen him or have a view. What's your view on Cundy? I'm a bit like you, David. I haven't seen enough of him to make Not a comment. I must admit, Gary Owls is great because obviously Gary watches a lot of the young lads because his, his son's involved in the under-23s. And I, I often, you know, if I, there's a, a name on the team sheet I'm not familiar with, I quickly text him to ask, ask for his opinion. But I don't know a lot about Robbie. I don't, like, I don't know a lot about um, Sam Bell. Um, you know, and it's, I, I know lots of people have been calling for some of the young lads to step up. Well, you've got Saiku Jana, who's a winger. You've got, I mean, good to see Tommy Conway was back. Just before we move to the front part of the... Uh, Front part of the uh, team. You you referred to uh, Hanoa, you know, who's got cult following, and he is a good player, and we've seen touches of it. But he has run around a bit without purpose. He seemed to be chasing shadows a bit against Huddersfield. I mean, look, the long and the short of it is, he's played nigh on sixty games for us now. No goals, no assists, and that sort of rather echoes your view that what is he? What is he as a midfielder? He's a, he's a lovely, tidy footballer. But, you know, so, I mean, you just, I, I never knew that. I never knew the no assist. You know, I, I, I know I can remember a few strikes on target or, you know, balls flying over the crossbar from it. Um, but if you're a defensive midfield player, which those, stat, those stats kind of suggest, um, he's, he, he's, all, he's often found, he's often found wanting as a defender. Um, I would say he's a more attacking midfielder than a, a sitting defense, defensive midfielder. And for me, he just doesn't give us enough at the moment. I, I still think he's, he's improving. He's, um, he's learning his trade. He's still very inexperienced. Um, I think we'd be foolish to lose him. Uh, I, yeah, really, no, I agree. He's, uh, a, he's, he's a saleable asset. And I guess when he's playing somebody, well, we'll talk about a transfer window in a minute, but maybe he might have somebody to the front. We've talked about Andy Vyman, uh, Louis Britton was uh, told he needed to get fit, yeah, and he's gone off to Woking to, to do that. Um, Naki Wells, again, I don't know whether he's not whether he's not being played because, you know, he's put the odd tweet up, he's an anti-vaxxer, and I'm wondering what percentage of the Bristol City squad are uh, vaccinated now, because we saw the Premier League, I think it was only... It's gone up. They said there's a new figure, but let's say it's 75%. If only 75% of your players are vaccinated, it's private information. We don't know that. But if we look up front, um, 
Chris Martin, good, honest professional, but goodness me, on Saturday, when we had the Sapere substitution, still one sub still to use, wouldn't it make sense to give Tommy Conway a run out for 20 minutes? I mean, he seems to be myopic in terms of Chris Martin must play. I think he's only missed 20 minutes of the whole season. What's all that about? Um, I think it's the, the thing that drives Bristol City fans the maddest. It's, it's the conversation I hear probably the most regular at the moment is Chris Martin. Um, uh, listen, he, he's never going to run away from anyone. He's not. He, he missed a great chance last week when he had a, a, an open goal to shoot at and he, he pulled it wide. Um, at the moment, it looks the game looks a bit too quick for him. Another one where his legs, I think, have just gone. He's meant to be a lovely guy. He, he's, a, he's been a model professional. His movement and he's, he's, pretty, he's, a, he's got some smart movement. Um, he's very often quite isolated up front, so it's pretty hard. But you, you certainly notice a difference when Semenya's up front. I mean, I, I was yeah. really, really impressed with his touch, his vision, his yeah. little bit of turn of pace. What happens is... Play, um, defenders back off because he, they're scared of his pace. Whilst yeah. with Martin, you can go as close as you want with Martin, so he's never going to run away from you. He's never going to get away. I mean, it's interesting what you say about Semenyo because I think, and he was getting some good comments um, on the forum at the weekend, he's starting to get his shots away and yeah. he's starting to look, you know, as though there's a bit of a player in there, you know, and you wonder, you know, <laughs> whether he could play as a one down the middle. So let's let's get down to brass tacks before we move on to transfer window and we just assess Nigel and the coaching staff and, dare I say, off the field as well. Um, what would, in fact, no, before I do the team, Dan Bentley, yeah, undoubtedly one of the best goalkeepers in the championship, but why, oh, why, oh, why does he keep kicking it long? Yeah, because we've not got a player up front that, can hold the ball. Well, I think I think Nigel Pearson hit the ball on the head. Well, hit the nail on the head the other day. Maybe the ball on the head as well. Um, because no centre half wants the ball. They're not comfortable playing out from the back. You you, you need you need a three or four people that are comfortable on the ball to be able to do that from the keeper's hands. At the moment, Callas doesn't look comfortable. Zach Viner doesn't look comfortable. Atkinson seems to have lost lost his confidence. Yeah. Yeah, Alex, Alex, um, Scott on the right will take the ball all day long, sometimes dangerously, but he's yeah. you know, happy. Do you know what? When he gets the ball, I'm more than confident that he's going to keep it. Ben Aroos, with the ball at his feet, looks very nice and tidy. Uh, you know, you've got Matty James, who can act as a, a wall, but he's never going to get past and break the lines. So at the moment, I think, I think very well, I don't think Bentley's kicking is that great. Even when he does kick it, he seems to. He seems to send it very high and it, it, it lacks a little bit of direction. And that drives me a little bit mad when I'm watching the games. But I, I, would, I would like him to get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker. I think on Saturday when we, when we, we had a little bit of momentum, there's a few times he could have rolled the ball out when Bristol City could have maybe even sprung a counter-attack. But he seems to keep the ball in his hands. But maybe he knows something that I don't. And that is that the players are so uncomfortable in possession at the back at the moment. It's got to go wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, that's, and that goes to show how uncomfortable and how unconfident we are at the moment. Because I think for 20 minutes in the second half, we looked a decent team. Yeah. But 
on Saturday first half we looked we looked shell shocked. Well, the early press, you know, it was rewarded with a goal, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So Chris, all right. So you've got your, you know, Nigel Pearson gets abducted by aliens uh, in the run up to Christmas, and you're put in charge of the team, the squad, or the players, right? You haven't, right? Let's assume that we have one player who's currently injured who suddenly becomes available, and that's so, and that's Joe, right? Okay. What is your lineup that you would say, right? I'm going to start this lineup. Yeah. It's my first game in charge. Yeah. I've watched all the games, which you've watched most of them either in person or probably seen it online. What 11 would you start with, let's say, against well, QPR on Christmas Thursday? That's the next match, hopefully, being played at Ashton Gate. You want my, you want my team then? Right. So, what, on what's available? In fact, no, let's assume that Joe Williams isn't available because he isn't, right? And we don't know when he's coming back. He talks about Andy King being uh, available for selection. I don't see how at 32, you, with no games, you can come back. You might get a place on the bench, all right? How, but, how about Nathan Baker? Is he fit? I don't think so. Um, I think, well, there's the odd rumour going around that it's more serious than has been first thought there, right? So, no, let's assume that, you know, you've got, you know, you've got, yeah, those two are definitely not available. Okay. Right? And they'd be definite starters without question. Williams and Baker would be starters, right? But let's assume Callum's available, yeah? Um, and you've got the youngsters, uh, and yeah, and that, that that's it. So what's your starting 11 and what, what format? I think it has to be pretty much what he's playing at the moment with with uh, Alex Scott, Zach Viner, Callas, Atkinson, um, and Callum on the left, and then in midfield, I mean, I don't think he's got any other options apart from um, Matty James and Masingo. I would personally um, like to see a little bit more legs in the team. I would like to see, maybe give Naki Wells a run, um, yeah. just to give us some pace and some mobility, um, and play him up there with, with Semenyo. And, and I know you mentioned Vyman. I mean, He's probably one of my most frustrating players at Bristol <laughs> because his end product at times is abysmal. And then he goes and scores two goals and everyone says how great he played. But there was a few times on Saturday he gets in, he gets in the last third and he's like an out-of-control speedboat. And he does the most yeah. ridiculous pass, which, he's, which he, he's not got enough quality in those boots yeah. to play. And he tries to play it and gives it away. And then the other team at the other end. Straight turnover, possession, or what have you. Do you know, Chris, you've summed up Vyman exactly as I've seen it. Because if you look at those nine goals that he scored, right, I think there's been three braces in there, and that detracts from a I don't ever see, and they were good finishes at the weekend. There's no doubt about that. And you could say, well, you know, he, for me, he never looks in controlled possession. It's always. He doesn't look in control of himself. <laughs> He's just, he's such a fabulous athlete. I think he, he forgets to stop and have a look. He, he is so, he's trying so hard to run around and look busy. Sometimes he forgets to play that, he take enough care on that killer pass to make it worthwhile. Yeah. He, for me, he's a poor man's Bobby Reed. You know, he, I think he was always, he was all, always bought the club to be a squad man. And now he's our number one striker. 
who doesn't miss a game. And that's how, and, and unfortunately... He's another one who doesn't miss a game. Absolutely right. And, yeah. and that's how far we've dropped. Four years ago, he wouldn't have got in that team. And now he's our number one striker. Jeez. But, but he's an experienced player as well, though, isn't he? Because he's only just 30. Uh, personally, look, I, I, I agree with everything you say. I think he's stolen. I think he's got, as you say, he's an athlete. He's run around a lot, but he's stolen. That's probably a bit harsh. A living at the highest levels in football for a few years by that pace and the occasional goals. Because, you know, he's got nine at the halfway stage. You know, he's going to appear this season. He could get, he could get between 15 and 20 if he carries on at that rate. And then who are we to criticise? You know, but, David, but David, I'm going to sound complete, I'm going to contradict myself, but he's in the team because there's, yeah. no, one else, but there's no one else better. So would you, exactly. So would you start Chris Martin in your team or would you have him on the bench as an impact sub for 20 minutes? Not anymore. I wouldn't have him in my starting oh. no. So uh, then with Dan, is- yeah. So if you have with Dan at the back without Martin up front, You've almost got to play it short to build because there's no point in punting high balls down if you have a front two of Semenyo and um, uh, and Naki Wells and right or, or Naki Wells. Yeah, I, I, I would I would expect. Listen, I, I haven't enjoyed watching the way we played at Ashton Gate this season very much. I, I, I we all want to be entertained. That is that is what professional football is all about: is to be entertained. At the yeah. moment. We tend to go route one quite a lot. I think I think Chris Martin has won the most headers, or he's 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 been in the most headed duels, yeah. duels the whole league this year. Um, I mean, why are we tossing the ball forward so often that he has to win contested header headers? I mean, it's that just goes to show how we're trying to force the, the play so often. I think we have to work out what we're going to do, trust our players to be able to keep the ball for longer periods of time. Sometimes we can only keep the ball for three or four passes. I'm thinking, calm down, go sideways, go backwards, move again. And I'm watching them, the way they're, they're stood, expecting someone else to do something. And, and the movement's really poor. And that's when we get so frustrated, run out of ideas, and we go long. Yeah, which is the easy option. Okay, so possible window opens in January. That's either going to be preceded by or certainly going to come out a set of annual accounts that are going to show a loss for the year of shutdown, 35 million. That's probably being quite conservative. Um, what do you think will happen in the transfer window? Do you think there will be anybody going out? Do you think there would be anybody coming in? So what what do you what do you think? Um well, I, I think, you know, you've almost sort of lined me up for a, um, a difficult question there. Um, I don't think anyone will come in unless we get rid of players. I think um, all of us should be very grateful to the Lansdowne's for being so... Um, he's a, he's a modern-day philanthropist, isn't he, in the sense that he is, he's given us um, championship football at his own cost. Um, regardless of how much money he has, he, and I'm sure one day he'll get his money back um, for the asset alone. But at this moment in time, he's funding football in this city and we should all be very grateful to him because, uh, you know, to write a check out for 35 million each year must be heartbreaking, especially when you, you know, four years ago, you were so close to getting into the Premier Division and um, with so many clubs in the league who are struggling, um, I mean, it's, I mean, I read an article the other day. I think we're, 
last year we were 122 percent um, yeah, we were the third. We were the third highest, uh, or certainly in the top twenty-four clubs as they stand at the moment. Third highest wages as a percentage of turnover. And Steve Lansdowne was sat there. I think on the funding aspect, we were in the top three of individual recordable funding that money had put in. And that was, that was an amazing article. I wish I it was. Wish it was a really good article. We should look I, at that. That's something that Dave. Yeah, I read it all the way through and it was really interesting. And that's when you, you get a grip of what a precarious business professional football is at this level. Oh, goodness me. Yeah. And again, you know, when you think we started talking about when we began the, uh, this, uh, this, this interview, we talked about four years ago what's happened. And you've got to say we're grateful for having him there, which is great. But it's almost like, you know, there's, there are other clubs that are, that are at our level, without parachute payments, you know, you just got to look at the clubs outside. Well, the clubs below third, you know, there's a good half dozen clubs that have got haven't got a philanthropist and have achieved more for a lot less. And you look at the clubs that have had experience of Premiership football the whole time Steve's been putting that money in, and that's a debate for another day. You know, why why not us? Why everybody else? But back to the transfer window. Um, you, you, hmm. If there was anybody going to go out, somebody come in with a sneaky bid, or do you think we're going to have to give player? You know, we could give Mark Ashton, Casey Palmer, and Jada Silva and pay half their wages. And you know, do you think that's the likely thing that could happen? We're going to have to contribute wages to get rid of players. Absolutely, I think that's the only way we get rid of them. Um, and they're on massive wages. I mean, they're huge wages. I, it was quite funny. They're on. I think they're on a, a hundred times my salary when I was at Bristol City. Yeah. A week. You know, yeah. and it was only 30 years ago. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing to think what salaries they, they're earning. And, you know, going back to the money that we were just talking about and how the way their clubs run, but we're now paying more, sal- more out in salaries than we did when we had a better team four years ago. Yeah. So, you know, there's a mistake in itself. Perhaps we should have noticed that the players that we had in the squad, the likes of the Corey Smiths, the, the Brown Hills, the Marlon Pats, perhaps they needed a little bit more money to make them feel a little bit secure, more secure and stay, rather than try to replace them with the likes of Casey Palmer's, the De Silvers. You know, um, you know, I know for a fact, you know, someone like Aidan Flip wouldn't have gone if he'd been given better wages. Yeah, but then I take, I mean, you know him from that point of view, but that second half of the season, you know, you had Aidan, Joe and Bobby all wanted away. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can't keep unhappy players and they've all got agents that want to get their pound of flesh as well. But no, you're absolutely right. You know, did we do enough to make them see that their future was at City? We talk about 17, 18. Let's be fair, 18, 19 was going pretty good until the second half capitulation. Um, I mean, personally, I think Steve maybe took his eye off the ball a bit. I think Mark Ashton was a Rasputin-esque type influence within the club with Lee. Um, and I don't think Lee's as culpable as uh, as Ashton in some of what's got gone on. But look, we are where we are. I mean, 27 points at the halfway stage. Next second half of the season, you know, with you know, with a squad that, you know, the manager is doesn't really rate. Um, do you think we're capable of getting another 27 points? So it's 54 at the end of the season, or do you think 
we might get sucked in, you know, we're going to end up getting, I don't know, 50 in total, which this season should be enough to keep us up anyway, shouldn't it? I think, um, I think the only thing that keeps me going and believing that we're not going to get relegate, relegated is that there's worse teams in the league than us. But I think it's going to be a nail-biter right to the last game. I really do. I think, you know, only takes a complete loss in confidence where it's already fragile for us just to capitulate. And, you know, as long as we keep on picking up the odd win here and there, we'll be fine. But if we go on a drought, which, you know, we have done in the past under Lee, and we've all experienced that under, under Holden as well, you know, anything could happen. And, and we know what the championship is like. You know, we only need a few more injuries like we did last year as well. Um, and we could be right in the mire. So I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I think it's, there's, all, there's still loads to play for. Um, and I think, uh, I think every Bristol City fan should keep their fingers crossed and keep supporting them. And um, yeah, try to grow your nails, guys, because it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be, yeah. it's going, it's going to be an absolute roller coaster to the end of the season because there's, we're not a great team. We've got lots of rebuilding. It's a, it's a two or three year plan, as we keep on being told. And um, I think it's going to be still going to be another interesting six months. And do you think Nigel is the man to see that plan coming through? Because as you say, it's a three-year plan, so we're in year we're in year one basically. And as you say, if we cobble, we got to win eight games out of twenty-three. That would be enough. Maybe six, draw a couple. That's enough. We got we want to lose another dozen games between now and the end of the season. But do you think Nigel has got the stomach for it? You know, is he happy with his back room? You know, he's got Rennie. He's got um, he's got the other guy uh, alongside him now. Got rid of the, uh, the the other the other two coaches, or they moved on. The other two uh, coaches. But you know, do you think he's got the stomach for it? Because whenever you see him interviewed, he's always got that rueful chuckle at the beginning of it. You know, as like, oh God, what am I doing here? Type of thing. Yeah. Is he the man? Will we see front foot football from Nigel Pearson? Not this season, but maybe next season. It all depends on, on, obviously, how much money he's allowed to spend and how easy it is to get rid of the players he doesn't want to play with. It's really hard to judge him at the moment. Whilst he's got players in the squad he doesn't trust. Um, and he's obviously made his opinion well known and they're not going to try a leg from him, for him now. But I, I quite like Nigel's appointment because I thought he was old school he, he was going to give them a sense of um, identity in the sense that they were all going to be very committed because I thought that was lost under Holden I thought we were going to um, be a tough team to be which is um, not being the case although we haven't been absolutely battered uh, apart from maybe Sheffield United West Brom um, maybe uh, maybe one other game which I can I'm trying to remember but this, I, I just what worries me most is I don't see a vast improvement week on week, and I don't see a system that he's trying to install in the team. Um, you know, are we are we um, are we a footballing team where we pass through through the through each line of, of attack, midfield, and, and defence? Are we uh, are we a team that gets the ball into wide areas and we get into the box with um, movement from midfield? I just don't know what we are at the moment. I, I just don't see a system and a pattern. I don't see, you know, I just don't see enough to be able to really get excited and, and see that improvement at the moment. I, you know, we all, we all keep going each Saturday and we all keep our fingers crossed at two o'clock that we're going to win. Um, and then by half past sort of 
half past three, we're sort of resigned to what we're watching and we, you know, we know the next hour and a half is going to be difficult. Um, it's, you know, we're all going to keep going and we're going to keep watching. We just want to see improvement week in, week out. We just want to be, we just, yeah. you said it earlier on in the uh, interview, we just want to be entertained. And we do. Nice to see, you know, it'd be nice to have a good second half of the season to lift everybody's spirits, basically. Absolutely. I, I would love, you know, you asked me earlier if, if I was going to be manager. Joking aside, I would want to put out the most entertaining team I could possibly put on that pitch and win us games. I'd get wide men, I'd get people that wanted to run, get into the box, you know, and give it a real go. And at the moment, I just don't know what we, what we are. You know, I know he's trying to build from the back. I know that's his DNA. But I, I just, we, we're not even... We're not even, we haven't even stopped conceding goals at the moment. I expected that from him. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Um, have a great Christmas. Be good to have you on again some stage uh, during the season as well. Yeah, as the season maybe gets to halfway through the second half, give your views, then we'll know what squad we've got. I agree with you. I don't think there's going to be much happening in the transfer window. I see no point in bringing in the lad that keeps getting mentioned from Rotherham. Why would he leave there? What value is he going to have from a saleable point of view? And, you know, is he going to come in and warm the bench? It's got to be somebody, any transfer has got to come in and be better than what we've got and able to go straight into the starting lineup to make a difference. I think key to the second half of the season is Joe Williams coming back. And I think Joe Williams alongside, you know, the Alex Scotts, the Benaruses of this world, Matty James in there as well, are returning to form. Alamo Dowder, you know, it has a bit of excitement, but then you look at that and you, you you do worry about the back because, as you say, we're still conceding goals. Chris, once again, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us on the uh, Forever Bristol City podcast.